What really are 15-minute cities? Can we stop them? Should we try? I'm Monica Perez, and this is today's Deep Dive. And today is my mom's 94th birthday. So I'm very grateful to have her. She, you know, getting old is not for wimps like they say, but she is still super sharp. I've been visiting her as much as I can. And she was talking last time I saw her like a week or two ago about the lying congressman, the congressman in New York, who's the subject of all these scandals because he lied about his credentials to get elected And she was talking about it, so I hit the voice memo recorder one time a long time ago. I asked her if I could ever do that because when I just put a microphone in front of her, she talks like she's a secretary. So I wanted to capture the real my mom so you could see if my imitation of her is authentic and what she really says. So I caught her on tape talking about this guy. I put it in the Deep Dives premium feed, not to drive subs, because it's only like four or five minutes to not sign up to the feed just for that. But because I want to reserve it for the lovers, I want to reserve it for the people who know my mom through me and want to hear her. I'm not going to open her up to the the gen pop, (laughs) the swine, her pearls. Anyway, so if you want to listen to that, it's in the Deep Dives Premium on iTunes only right now. Eventually, I'll make it more available, but that's the only premium feed I have right now. And the first month is free. So you can sign up for it, but you got to remember to unsign up for it. It's $4.99 a month, so five bucks a month, and basically just helps support the show. I'm not quite breaking even. I think I will now that I put commercials in the deep dives feed. But it's also if you hate the commercials, because it's totally commercial free. There's some bonus content. People asked if I would still put the rockfin.com slash propaganda report. Would I still put my bonus content on there? Yes. Very few things won't be on there on Rockfin. I'm not putting my mother on Rockfin <laughs> because it, that's open to everybody who belongs to Rockfin. Um, but mostly everything will be on both. So check that out if you want and uh, let us move on to today's topic. So the diving platform is... It sounds extremely boring if you ask me, but man, I fell into this rabbit hole and then I fell into another rabbit hole and another rabbit hole. So it starts with this Oxford Mail, like a local Oxford, England newspaper. And it says, traffic filters will divide city into 15-minute neighborhoods. Now, this was an article from October 2022, but it looks like they just implemented this stuff. So I had to go back to see when they were reporting on it because there seems to be largely a media blackout. (laughs) So go figure. But what is interesting to me about this is the massive implications of all of this. So lately I've been doing all these shows. They seem to be like on one theme, but that's because the pitch is is reaching fever pitch. It's, I did the homelessness, housing, and Agenda 21. And then I did some of the like page two items on Davos, which was about transportation, about making things sustainable, green, about the Inflation Reduction Act and promoting subsidizing electric vehicles and how that would drive demand signals for more charging stations for infrastructure improvement. Um, I went through all this about the broader, like all transportation trains, planes and automobiles, everything. So I've just noticed all of these things coming together at once. 
And I started to realize then this 15-minute city thing, which I just mentioned in passing in some of those shows, is, is happening now. So I didn't really know what it was because when I first looked at it, you know, they did exactly what Rosa Quarry said they they do, which is they show these slides that are really cute. They're cartoonish or they're really bright and everybody's happy and healthy and things look perfect. Things look exactly the same in every slide. Like clearly there aren't like multiple choices here. But when I saw the pictures of 15 minute city, I was like a 15 minute city, like aren't all cities basically 15 minute cities? Like I, I'm from New York. I've lived in New York City many years and everything was within, I mean, I always walked. It was a very vertical city. It was very densely populated. It had everything, every, you know, the retail level was everything. You could get everything because nobody lived on the, on the main level. They lived vertically above. And a lot of people came in who worked there and that would drive more business to that retail. So you could have a tremendous variety. It was great. But as I read in a great reason article, the purpose of that is as a kind of clearinghouse for labor and jobs. Like everybody goes there and you can find a lot of employment. People live in the areas around. So they, there's a natural organic reason that cities are like that. And I was like, yeah, okay, you can encourage a 15-minute city, but 15-minute cities are basically what cities are, right? Like in my mind, what a real city is anyway. But what I didn't realize was how they were going to do it, how, you know, sinister it was. And this first step that Oxford is taking really drives it home. So what they are doing is they are putting in traffic restrictions at these kind of like ingress and egress points of what would be these six 15-minute cities. And they're restricting people being able to go in and out of those places. They, they're saying that there aren't physical barriers. I'm not 100% sure if that's true. I saw these videos that show barriers going up and people tearing them down, but I'm just, I'm not sure that that was of this thing being implemented because the reporting is a little contradictory. But let's just say whether they're physical barriers or not, there are checkpoints that have cameras. This is definitely in the reporting. Cameras that take a picture of your license plate. And if you don't have a valid permit, you will get a fine of, I think it said 70 pounds, which is a lot. Uh, you can get 100 permits a year. There are all sorts of restrictions. You can, if they have three adults in a house, you might be able to get 300 total for a year. Um, some people have exemptions, particularly carers, carers, whether paid or unpaid. So that is because I went down so many rabbit holes here that this is going to be another multi-part show, which I don't mean to be making a habit of it, but this stuff is a little bit complicated and I really can only hold like, you know, <laughs> one segment in my mind at a time. But one of the things that I'll get to later is that this, a lot of this stuff boils down, like the last rabbit hole I fell into is called the degrowth movement. And they they base it on, a lot of the stuff is gender-based and they say like unpaid caregivers. So like, you know, a woman who stays home and takes care of the kids, which in my mind, yes, I don't get a paycheck, but I get, I share in the income of this house and all of the fruits thereof. So, but... If you are only giving carers like unlimited passes, that means the women will be able to leave the neighborhoods, but the men won't. Or I should say the people who leave the neighborhoods will be women and the men won't. 
buses, other public transportation. You can bike, you can walk, you can do whatever, but you cannot drive a car outside the neighborhood. And they said in one of the articles I read that you could drive inside the neighborhood as much as you wanted. But I guess they're doing these 15-minute cities in a lot of places, in Edinburgh, in um, Canterbury, I think was another one, London, there's some. And they were saying that you can't even drive in their own city. And uh, there's just so many resources. Streetsblog.org has different cities in the U.S. and talks about how they're manipulating traffic and stuff there. It's not an expose. It's like an inside, you know, that's telling people what to expect. It's discouraging having parking. Um, they just want to discourage cars and they put a lot of policies in place to do that. But at this point, they're actually putting restrictions up and it's meant to force those cities to become 15-minute cities. So it's kind of backwards from what I thought. I was like, well, they are kind of 15-minute cities, whatevs. But no, it's the other way. And it goes back to that whole driving demand signals that the Delta chick said that I got out of the World Economic Forum thing where, like, I think that's what she was talking about, where now people will demand that they have the things that they need in their little little 15-minute area. So I was thinking... I mean, everybody has, like, the way they talk about it in the articles is, like, you need milk in your neighborhood, you need food, you don't want to have a food desert, we'll even grow the food. And I'm like, do you have to be self-sustaining? Like, do you have to grow your own food? But they also talk about having facilities. They want to have the schools in there. They want to have the health care facilities. They want to have the elder care facilities. They're worried about gentrification. So they want to make sure there's what's called social housing. In Paris, which is on the front cutting edge of this, Anne Hidalgo, the, the mayor there is working hand-in-hand uh, hand with Carlos Mendoza, I think his name is, from the Sorbonne, who this is like partly his brainchild. Uh, but what he wants is that 25% of all housing should be government housing. They call it social housing. And then they go on to say there's a risk of having gentrification. So we need to make sure that these small areas are economically mixed, like the people inside them are economically mixed. And if they're going to provide all these things, they, the, the demand that they want to drive, I think, is for these facilities buildups inside these cities. So what you're going to have is uh, all this stuff is going to be kind of public services. And then you will have this great equalization because the rich and the poor are all going to, or the income earners or whatever, and the the recipients of the taxpayers and the recipients of the taxpayers' uh, taxes are all going to access the same stuff. So if you are, it's kind of like healthcare, eh, I think. So if they're going to do it that way, First of all, it completely takes incentive out of being productive because your resources are going to be the same and you don't even have the option to, or you're limited in your options to leave the area to get competitive products. If it's hard to drive someplace to get like that special bottle of wine, you're going to just buy from the local guy who may have an exclusive relationship like they have in airports or arenas. Like, you know, this thing... When I realized they were starting to use force and restrictions and what their bigger goals were for 15-minute cities, I started realizing that this is that real totalitarian vision that they're implementing. So not only do you not do you not really want to produce a lot to avail yourselves yourself of like like competing products 
further away that might be nicer, better for you, even your services locally, you're going to be piggybacking on this probably, you know, I don't know how many gyms they'll have, but I assume they'll have a public gym because that's the way they're talking about it. They, they talk, like there are a lot of synonyms for this thing, healthy city, quiet, quiet neighborhood, um, low traffic neighborhood. There's a lot of that stuff, but they couch it in terms of health a lot of times and they want those health facilities local. But I'm thinking their emphasis on making sure that they don't become gentrified is in part because what if the restriction is that they that you're not allowed to leave? Like you're not allowed to relocate. You have to have a permit to move to a different town. Because that's what they're saying, like, oh, they're conspiranoids. These articles are really offensive. These conspiranoids act like you need permission to leave the area. And then, like, in the next paragraph, it says you need a permit. <laughs> like, what do you think permit is? It's permission. So it's permission to drive like that. And they're not making exceptions for you working somewhere else. They want you to have a work hub, like a Starbucks-type hub. They said they want a multi-purpose libraries for it. And as someone who likes a quiet place to read, that's not a library anymore. Not that I'm a fan of libraries because why does the government get to violate copyright laws and who's paying for that and whatever. So anyway, the implications are much, much broader than I thought they would be. But even the complaints coming out like of the city of London, UKJJ sent me a short clip of a woman People are protesting. They're getting mad because this thing has just sprung upon them. Although in Oxford, they introduced the whole thing with just bullet point after bullet point about how they did build consensus and all of that. But I know that you can go to the Rand Corporation website and find the 1967 documents on the Delphi technique and stuff they've done ever since then about building consensus around a... Um, an agenda that isn't going to change. So it's the consensus building is the way to get you to buy in. It's not the way for them to reflect what you want. But even with that process, they're still, as the one of the guys in Oxford said, that people are going to get it whether they want it or not. It literally said that, I think, in an interview in the Sunday Times. It was amazing last fall. So, but what this woman said is, uh, the way they went about this is wrong. So she didn't even question their authority to do it. What goal they have to do this as if it's their property. Uh, she didn't question the wisdom of it, the real purpose. She just didn't like that they did it kind of in an undemocratic fashion. But ultimately, it really is, I think, all of these things that I've been covering lately really go exactly with what Rosa was talking about in Behind the Green Mask 10 years ago about the Agenda 21 stuff. And Agenda 21 became like a conspiranoid catchphrase, but it's a real thing. Agenda 21, Agenda 2030, Oxford itself has something called the Local Plan 2040, which is like amazing. I'm gonna have to read that, that just the chapter headings to you at some point. This stuff is really, I think it has like a few big agendas there. And she always goes back to restricting land use. And that is definitely true. I think another thing they're doing is reducing mobility for us, our communication, like physically being able to interact with each other. It's quite isolating. And then uh, the other thing I think that this comes down to is reducing 
overall consumption and standards of living. I mean, that's where that degrowth movement also comes in. Another thing that is absolutely obvious, they're talking about it over and over again. They talk about COVID as being an opportunity. They talk about to they that it was an opportunity that demonstrated to people how much they need access to things by being able to walk local access. They talked about the experimentation, getting people to walk in the streets. I mean, they didn't, they are talking about getting people to walk in the streets and putting bicycles on sidewalks as a permanent future goal. But this all was like in the same essays and articles that they talked about how getting restaurants to encroach on the streets was um, a kind of hybrid between COVID and this plan that the lockdowns um, were used for various experiments in this regard. And now I believe that there were three main goals for the whole COVID thing. Um, that a financial reset was necessary because interest rates were just too low. They needed to jack up inflation. Uh, maybe that's why they rolled out modern monetary theory around that time. They jacked up the inflation. Now they had the higher interest rates that I always said I thought was the number one goal. Of course, making 7 billion people medical customers when they weren't sick, I think that's the second goal. And then the lockdowns, though, specifically... But COVID generally, but this, the third big goal, in my opinion, was to usher in this complete transformation of how we live and how our land is used. And they are saying it absolutely openly that it's a massive cultural change. And that kind of social engineering, it is going to be so disruptive, even more disruptive, believe it or not, than the two years of lockdown. Because they're really permanently changing everything. And they make it very clear that they are incorporating, uh, they are going to, that the transportation stuff, the land use stuff, redevelopment stuff, infrastructure stuff, all of that are ways to shape this landscape, shape our usage, change our energy consumption patterns, which are not about climate change. I mean, the more you read this stuff, the more you realize like climate change, climate change, climate change. They never, it's, it's just this catchphrase like racism that they just are. are I found anti-Semitism in one of these things. Like it's the conspiranoids who hate traffic management are anti-Semites. They're just using this as a catchphrase clearly to implement something very, very different. So a Habitat One, a UN document from 1976, I don't even remember if they talked about climate change. I think back then they were still talking about ice ages. Yet in there, a stated goal is the end of private property. So what I feel like is what's happening now is that this is how they're reshaping stuff. But I know it sounds really scary, but the upside is that unlike COVID lockdown, which was this just panicked emergency, whatever, this stuff takes time, it takes process, it takes money, it, it, it takes implementation. And yes, I do believe they're going to try to do climate change emergencies to make this stuff implemented without process to keep us from being part of the process. But the fact is this stuff is all happening at local levels. They'll have regional planning centers there. This is the opportunity to, to stop this by getting involved locally. And I am just not a doer. I'm not a joiner. I'm not an activist, nothing. 
But reading on in Rose's book, Behind the Green Mask, she talks about how to deal with this. And I started doing a little research just locally just to see, you know, are they still talking about this stuff at the city council meeting? And yes, they are. So um, at the end of all of this, I'm going to do a standalone show. It'll be probably short. I may literally just read the the little sub-chapter, the section from Rose's book on anti-Delphi resistance, on how to beat them at their own game. I encourage you to buy the book, Behind the Green Mask, but I will read that on a standalone thing so you can share it with people. And I'll talk about who I think you should share it with and who I think are the best people for it. Everybody should get involved, but I want to talk about that like on a standalone so you can share it. But uh, I do think that what she was saying about the goals are right, and I think this is the moment, and I think that that was a really, really major piece of of COVID. It wasn't just like, yeah, they're going to piggyback on COVID for the for climate. They did it to start this process. And one thing that you might notice yourself, I noticed it the last time I went to New York City, like the last couple of times, I will not go into the city again ever. Not That's not true. I don't mean that. I'm not intending to go to the city. I might go in to visit a friend or two, a listener or two. But I noticed the last two times I was there over the past several years that cabs were, people literally were walking faster than the cabs like the whole time. And I was always a surface dweller. I didn't like the subways. I've gotten harassed on the subway a couple of times. I don't, I'm not crazy about the buses. I would take cabs. And people would say, oh, it takes longer. It's like, it does not take longer. And it usually almost never took longer. It was way more expensive, but I didn't care. Uh, I would rather stick to my local neighborhood, actually, but I didn't care. So, But more recently, it is back-to-back. And I wondered why they ever let Ubers in there. I'm not a big fan of control of government control, but they do control building. They do zonings. They they subsidize new building. They keep interest rates lower than they should be. They have tax incentives. They do so much to stimulate growth and building. They have so much regulation around that and policy around that, even to the point where wars for oil are just making energy cheaper. You know, infrastructure projects are just making subsidizing the cost of transportation. If they took all that stuff away, maybe you wouldn't need zoning laws. Maybe you wouldn't need traffic pattern planning, but they don't. So they now took on the responsibility. I would say they have a duty to actually address it. And for the longest time they did, they would do traffic. um, They would evaluate new projects based on the congestion, the traffic congestion that it caused. Well, I just discovered in this from like streetsblog.org or something in some cities and one of the cities that are, that has a lot of stuff on this blog, so maybe it is one of those cities, is New York, but I know they talked about it at length in California, that they no longer evaluate stuff like that on that basis. They just do whether it increases vehicle miles traveled, which isn't a a good thing because congestion is where you get like smog and increased energy usage and all that kind of stuff. It's not, it doesn't make sense to do vehicle miles traveled. Um, but not only do they do that, so then what that does is it can mess up traffic patterns and increase congestion because they're no longer screening for that. And that will drive demand signals. That will make people want to make some changes to cut out cars. Because I was in the city, I was like, they should ban Ubers. Like, of course they shouldn't ban anything ever. You know, like, what the hell? Um, in a free society, they wouldn't have to. 
But they do that, and then they exempt some things, like what they call infill developments. So if you, they want to pack everything more densely, anything that does more pedestrians or more bicycles, which will encroach on traffic flows. If they're starting to convert streets to narrow the roads so you can have bike lanes and stuff, I think they're, they are doing this intentionally, just like Pasta said about voting lines to drive to mail-in ballots. I think they're doing it intentionally, and you might notice it in your own town. And I consider that a dereliction of duty to the extent these guys claim that government's legitimate and not pathocratic. They have an obligation to do this. They want roads to be public, then they need to take care. Uh, but every libertarian knows public roads are uh, not necessary. So yeah, what's a 15-minute city? It's all of those things, everything you need within 15 minutes, your hairdressers, your hospitals. But of course, I, you know, I live in LA. I mean, I, I consider myself staying local if I'm only driving for 15 minutes. Like literally, if you had a 15-minute city here, it would have to be driving. It would have to be. Like you just couldn't. And that, And they do want to bring it to the suburbs too. They talk about that. So, I mean, I think that also reflects Rose's claim of like corridors, that people would all live in corridors. So, but the idea of having schools, they talk about having to build new schools so everyone has a good school in their neighborhood. I mean, I don't want this. I don't want the public school in my neighborhood. I want the like weird <laughs> tiny Catholic school like four towns over because it's the only one within driving distance. Uh, they talk about encouraging, here's one of the buzzwords you should watch out for, quote, active transport, which just means like the shoe leather express. It just means walking. They talk about children playing in the street, people walking in the street. They will use eminent domain to get what they want, and they will take property away from people. Um, I think Ism Camp pointed out that they already do that with eminent domain, uh, with asset forfeiture. So if you're accused of, I, I think it's still like this, like if you're accused of drug deals, drug dealing, they can take your property and you have to fight to get it back. You don't have to be convicted. I mean, I, there are horrible stories that comes out of that. I should probably do a deep dive on that at some point. So, I mean, and I do think that there's going to be people who benefit from this. I, it's There are going to be a lot of government contracts for all these new facilities. I don't know what the healthcare profile is going to look like. Now, granted, a lot of this stuff that I'm reading is coming out of Europe, but it's a global, certainly World Economic Forum initiative, a UN initiative. It's meant to be global. Europe is probably the most vulnerable to this kind of nonsense, so that's why it's coming out of there. But it's going to involve a lot of government money. And that was another thing Rosa said. It's all about your tax money going to pay for this stuff. And the people who are actually citizens who are going to be affected by this aren't even in the planning commissions. And these are some of the complaints that came out of Oxford. Like, you guys don't even live here. How, how are you making these decisions? You don't care about us. The consensus building was a sham. I mean, things are, they, people are just seeing this stuff. They don't know anything about that being a, an established pattern. They're just seeing it. I mean, they talk about how being connected is absolutely critical. And that just reminds me of Infosys, which is Rishi Sunak, the PM in England right now, his father-in-law owns Infosys, which is the Indian company that does try to work hand-in-hand -hand with English governments to, to do these public-private kind of initiatives. And another thing they said about COVID is like it showed people that, that I think Anne Hidalgo, the mayor of Paris, said the most, the biggest 
resistance she got where people could not understand how they could work without going to work. And she said, COVID solved that problem, demonstrated to people they could do that, and now we're full steam ahead. Now, it's not an ideal way to work, which is why so many companies are rolling that back. But they've proven it can be done. And Europe is not like the paragon of efficient working, right? So that'd be the place. And if people like to stay home, which they do, another thing like Europe, they will implement plans that, you know, laws probably, I assume maybe they've done it already, that you have the right to work from home. I mean, that I think is like, (laughs) I think I might even have read that somewhere. So this one little thing, this traffic restrictions in Oxford just open this whole can of worms about what they are up to. And I will tell you who they are. They are, yes, it's the World Economic Forum. It's the globalists specifically who's implementing this stuff. And I kind of noticed this last time, but now I'm certain of it. It's the mayors. So Michael Michael Bloomberg has numerous mayors consortia and they have, they get all the mayors from around the world or from the really big cities or whatever, and they have all of these tools, like tools. I can, I'm going to talk about this in the next segment, but they hold these people's hands through this process. And the way I think it works is that the cities are set up to have the least amount of input from property owners. Like, I'm not even sure if property owners can vote in the cities that they, like, rent Two, you know what I mean? So that's a major problem. That is how they're implementing it. That's who the they is. It's Bloomberg and his gang manipulating the mayors, probably putting them in the place in the first place. Sadiq Khan, who's the mayor of London, is the chair of C40, which is the most influential mayor's consortium when it comes to this exact thing, 15-minute cities. But the idea that this this traffic restriction is related to 15-minute cities, which is related to the Oxford City Council Local Plan 2040, that idea is being completely mocked in the press. But it's absolutely true. I mean, the guy, Enright, who was on that council, told the Sunday Times that this was a way, the first step of implementing 15-minute cities. And then in this Oxford Council Local Plan 2040, which I'm going to have to read a few of the items, but let me just read the introduction. The very first paragraph, it says, the Local Plan 2040 places a strong emphasis upon the concept of the 15-minute city, whereby our city is planned in such a way as to optimize the opportunity for people to be able to reach a wide range of facilities that they need to live well and healthily within a 15-minute walk of their home. It provides an opportunity to bring law to build strong local communities that enable residents to thrive, yada, yada. But this thing, it has, the chapter headings take up three full pages. I mean, the first section is their vision, um, but the second one is a healthy, inclusive city to live in. They are talking about housing requirements, housing needs, affordable housing, employer-linked affordable housing, um, loss uh, of family dwellings. (laughs) It says locating new student accommodations uh, to meet the needs generated by new academic facilities, gypsy and traveler accommodation, um, elderly accommodations. And then it goes to number three is a prosperous city with a globally important role in learning, knowledge, and innovation. 
allowing housing on existing employment sites is one of the things under that heading, employment and skills plans, affordable workplaces, short-stay accommodations. I mean, it talks about drainage, groundwater, net-zero buildings. I think the C40, the mayor's goal, is to, within a decade, have the carbon emissions within a decade. I mean, that's radical, and they call for transformational change. It wants to build a city culture that respects heritage and fosters design of the highest quality. So they have specific design guidance. They have public art, privacy, daylight, and sunlight, designated heritage assets, new learning and non-residential institutions, new cultural, social, and visitor attractions. I mean, it, it just goes on and on. That's Local Plan 2040, and they want to control all of that. And the very first sentence or second sentence in the introduction to this document is the 15-minute city. And the guy who implemented the 15-minute city in Oxford said it was a stepping stone. Yet here's an article from The Guardian, Peter Walker, his name, haha, real name. Why do traffic reduction schemes attract so many conspiracy theories? <laughs> they make fun of Jordan Peterson for exposing some of this stuff. They just call it nonsense. Uh, Oxford traffic plan, they insist, is the first step in a global plot <laughs> led by the UN, which is true. It says, the first thing to clear up is that these claims have no basis beyond the fact that six traffic filters will be installed across Oxford in locations yet to be confirmed as part of a plan led by Oxfordshire County Council and supported by the city council. But the guy who is head of travel in the city council is the guy who said this was a stepping stone to the 15-minute city. It says it's a fairly technical scheme to try to clear the roads. It is not a UN plot. It says, why the fuss? It said, because previous attempts to limit right to drive or recent low traffic neighborhoods have prompted a fur furious response. Low traffic neighborhood is an actual synonym for 15-minute city. Like in one of the things it says, one of the articles I read, it said, they want to rebrand because like this 15-minute city thing is getting a bad rap. So call it something else. Call it a quiet city. Call it a healthy city. Call it a low traffic <laughs> neighborhood. This guy's like, it has nothing to do with that. That's part of the rebranding. It says that efforts to limit urban driving attract the attention of a large pool of climate conspirators uh, who have big crossover with vaccine conspirators. Um, oh, but it talks about not our future, which is right said Fred and company marching against this stuff. I'm so glad this stupid article reminded me of that because good for them. Although I'm sure there was blowback, that's for sure. Uh, they also suggest that this may be a plot originating in China, which I thought was interesting. I hadn't heard that before. It is a significant worry that people objecting to traffic restrictions can easily become exposed to much murkier ideas including the anti-Semitic ideas of a new world order of all-powerful globalists. Jeez Louise. Anyway, so he was complaining because he said that the people on the council, one of these articles is about, oh yeah, Oxford, sure, and Oxford Council abused over traffic filters. This is Sophie Perry in the Oxford Mail. They've been subject to abuse and misinformation 
Councils received numerous calls and social media messages from worried residents. Like, as far as I know, abuse is just them resisting being abused. <laughs> it says, it was said that residents would have to ask the council for permission to travel from one area of the city to another, which again, is not true. Uh, later in this same article, it says, if you do not have an exemption or a residence permit, you will receive a fine <laughs> for crossing over. So a permit is permission, just so you know. Uh, one thing is that you can get from one place to another if you exit your area through the ring route. So if you go onto the highway and e enter back into the area from the ring route, which of course would increase uh, vehicle miles driven, but whatever. All right, so it says, the misinformation online has linked the traffic filters to the 15-minute neighborhoods proposed in the city council's local plan 2040, suggesting that the traffic filters will be used to confine people to their local area. This is not true. <laughs> but it is linked. I mean, that was very sketchy language there. Uh, but the, what I thought was really funny about this article is it says, the reason we have proposed these changes is that everyone who lives and visits Oxford knows the city has had awful congestion for decades. And then um, it goes just a couple of paragraphs later. It says the concept of traffic filters was first introduced in 2015 in the Oxford transport strategy. So of course I looked it up, <laughs> the Oxford transport strategy. And so this is just a couple of paragraphs next to where they said actually twice that they have had awful congestion for decades in the 2015 Oxford transport strategy. This is a quote. This strategy, from the beginning of it, this strategy builds on a legacy of success in tackling Oxford's transport challenges through pioneering and innovative approaches which have enabled the city to grow and develop without year-on-year -year rises in traffic levels. This is from 2015. They are citing it as an authority, and they are justifying what they're doing based on decades of awful congestion. So, they're making stuff up, <laughs> you know? <laughs> They're just making stuff up, which makes me suspicious. It's just, I'm sorry, maybe I shouldn't have gone this far down those minutia of the rabbit hole, but I, you know, people say like, oh, you're just so skeptical. You're always down the rabbit hole. Everything's a conspiracy. It's very clear. These people are doing something that the citizens, the property owners do not want, and they're lying about it, and the press is backing them up. And that is, if you go through all my show notes, use it as a resource. If you're a podcaster or whatever, take it, take it. It's outrageous. So they are obviously uh, doing this to implement the 15-minute city. And when I tell you in the next segment about, you know, how far it's going, like Paris, Barcelona, Saudi Arabia, th that one is like, people don't even believe it was real. It's called The Line. You can look that up if you want a little preview. So. So one thing that I think is really uh, noteworthy is they're talking about their own property owners not really having a say here. Think about L.A., where you have a lot of undocumented people who are definitely not property owners. They're not really going to know. They can vote. They get recruited to vote without even speaking the language that the ballot's in, although I think the ballots are all in Spanish. But they, you have, I don't know if it's Airbnb or BlackRock, a lot of the property owners are absent and then they have these inner city groups that are led by these mayors who are being directed from outside. And they always have those themes of 
of affordable housing. They're, and that's, I think, so they get the votes to implement this stuff out from under the property owners who will be the ones who are um, feeling the heat. But that's why when I talk about like how to resist, the people you want to reach out to are property owners. They are people who were aware of Agenda 21, people who are homesteading. Because a lot of this stuff comes with land use restrictions and it's regional. So you want to build parallel systems, that's true, but you have to pay attention to this because they will steamroll you, I think. That's what I think. So um, anyway, some of the other synonyms for this in case they do really rebrand it, it's the low traffic neighborhood, quiet neighborhood, 20 minute neighborhood, urban village, smart city, healthy neighborhoods, ISO benefit urbanism, I guess is the philosophy. They want dense, complete overall communities. Yikes. <laughs> so in in my view, the fact that cities are the way they are, they are largely 15-minute cities, and then there's like you might want to go outside to get more stuff, and that drives competition so that your local may provide more or just the basics. You get economies of scale when you've got – you can get more variety if you have more people coming in. And so if the 15-minute city, like, that restrictive were better, we would just do it ourselves. Like, you wouldn't need to enforce it. That's why they have to say it's for the planet. Like, your, it's that communitarianism that Rosa talks about. Your individual rights are threats to the planet. And that's why you can't just use free markets. It's really ingenious and quite sinister. So the labor article talked about cities being just these massive labor markets, which I think I touched on. And that does allow for complex organizations to get a diverse set of people with specialized skills. We do have specialization of labor, and it quite generates a lot of wealth for us. We don't have to have it. Kaczynski would say it's not necessary. But I think it's nice to have the choice, and I would like to maintain the choice. But the idea of having population density enough to basically sustain a city, a, a big city's worth of stuff, like within walking distance, means that it's vertical. So this Saudi Arabia thing, the line, it's like this super long city that like stretches from one end to the other, like one coast to the other, or cuts off part of the coast, whatever. It's supposed to be, so it looks like it's just a strip, like a big mall, but it's supposed to be as high as one or two of their super, super tall skyscrapers. So with that kind of vertical building, you could have the population density for that kind of variety down below, but I, they can't possibly be including that 15 minutes vertical travel. Vertical travel. If you've ever worked in a really big building, you got to wait for that elevator. You got to be on that elevator, you know? So you're talking about vertical travel. 15 minutes can go by pretty fast. Five minutes in the vertical travel, probably. So, but Reason was talking about population density, was talking about um, needing that many people for this to work. And I think what reason missed was really the extent to which they're planning on vertical space because they're going to take land offline. They want everybody in these little cities. So I think, and that's what it looks like. And they want to have like food growing in those cities and stuff like this thing is really, it seems fantastical except for that they're beginning to implement it from Oxford, to Saudi Arabia. This stuff is happening. All right, so let's read from the tweeps. Give you a little break. Ism can't. 
Okay. When you add in things like road diets, it's actually such an impediment that ambulances and fire trucks have trouble getting to locations in emergency situations. That's so true. And that was something that Rosa said. She said, watch out, they're going to build medians in the main street and it is going to interfere with emergency services. And in my mind, that's going to be a demand driver. They want to create, they want to create market failures. Well, we don't have what we need. We need to like use the government to implement them here locally because they can't cross that barrier. Like they will set it up on purpose like that, which people will die. They obviously don't care about that. It's uh, uh, Mike says, all I have to know is that putting yourself in a cage and giving someone else the key is a bad idea. Sir Tim, I said, I asked people, what are the pros and cons of the 15-minute city? And I got crap just for saying the word pro, but I just, I wanted to tease out every possible argument here. So Tim says, pro, and I'm really trying here, you'd really get to know your immediate neighborhood, con, it realizes the vision of the panopticon, allowing cities to be locked down in sections, making any kind of organized resistance difficult, if not impossible. But I feel that that is their trademark goal. That is excellent. Good one, Tim. Certain. Twitizen. The grass is always greener on the other guy's 15-minute neighborhood. Always. And I think he means that. Agent Chaos. It violates the human right of free association. That is true. And the right to work and travel. See? People who wanted to build a wall. <laughs> Ron Paul wasn't so wrong. Walls keep you in. Okay. Um, Lopez, con. I give, they take away another piece of freedom. Pro, none. Tunnel King. Pro, making Klaus happy. Con, eating bugs. Sickly Dave Smith, he had a couple here. Pro, more communal feeling to neighborhoods, more fuel efficient, more economic. Maybe in the, you know, I know he's not a fan, but more economic, economical maybe in that way, but I don't think it's going to be more economical if you include the revenue side of economy. Less consumer choice, these are cons. Less employment opportunities, less personal freedom, absolutely. The last man cast. I heard everything is 30 minutes away in LA, LOL. That is so true. Like, I feel like 15 minutes and that's in my neighborhood. Zach truly says, the first con that jumps to mind is that I'd be out of a job and reliant upon government welfare to serve. Wait a minute. <laughs> yeah, that's definitely the plan. Uh, the other one from Sickly Dave Smith is con the tyranny. Pro doesn't matter because of the tyranny. Definitely true. Dave, the 2030 Agenda Disruptor. I like being close to everything I need. I rarely leave my 15-minute area. But if I was told I had to say, stay, that would drive me mad. And you probably don't realize that when you do venture out, Dave, that you're doing it because it's really worth it to you. And that's the stuff that's going to be taken away. So I think this was one of my favorites. Benjamin Ghazi. Pros, none if imposed involuntarily, if elected to do so, long-term sustenance and protection of resources must be paramount. That's true. I guess you would be kind of conservatarian or whatever. <laughs> Cons, all. We ought never be restricted in where we choose to go. By the way, deep dives, all of them, golden.
that's why it was one of my favorites. <laughs> I put a little star next to that one. <laughs> Thank you. Uh, Chris. Okay, Chris writes like in riddles. It's crazy. So maybe you can help me. Con, internet, Zeno's paradox at once, both atomized groups of people and then lassoed new tribes and constituent echo chambers that sits counter to, quote, diversity, geography, and Overton window narrowing. See at Robert Elise, hashtag overdoing democracy. Chris, Chris takes the brain space of like four tweets at once for me. But thank you for your effort. I'm sure it takes him more effort too. We Can Save the World says, do not comply. Todd says, risk management. Dave Sparks says, no-go zones are never a good thing. The trap mice love the cheese. Snap. Waking the sheep. I know there are pros and cons, but I think the purpose of it is to get people to adapt to lifestyles where they use minimal resources. If people live simple lifestyles, then it's easy to tax them to the max, probably done with more and more hidden, subtle, ticky-tack taxes. Yeah, definitely about control. A rose. Cons. It would feel like a large prison, and I would say it is basically an open-air prison. I actually went to Wrench in the Gears to see if Allison McDowell was talking about this, but you think I go deep. Holy cannoli. I'm, there's, <laughs> I don't think she can hit stuff in real time because she goes uber deep. Okay. Um, it would feel like a large prison or a zoo. It would encourage tribalism. My sector is better. Thank God you can't drive over here easily, pleb. And somebody else said, maybe it was Ismcant, that they aren't, but I don't want to misattribute, that they aren't trying to reduce tribalism. Um, and I agree with that. I think they created it. They say they wanted to reduce it. Karl Popper said that. Soros quote, cites him, his teacher, as saying that. But I agree. They're trying to increase tribalism because that increases conflict. I think they did it in Africa. I think that was part of the awakening that led to JFK getting assassinated. I think he was waking up to that. Uh, Wrong Doug says, my job is 35 miles away. It's a great job with a great company in a liberal shithole Ivy League town, Ithaca, and I wouldn't want it to live any closer to there than I do. Ithaca, oh my gosh, this is just a coincidence. I just said Soros. That mayor in Ithaca is definitely a Soros puppet. Like, look up what he's, he is a world, I don't know if it's World Economic Forum or what, but he's an absolute insider, globalist insider. Like, I don't know why Ithaca, but check that guy out. So I have so much more, and it was so much that I feel like I was not strictly organized, but I wanted to just get it out there. What is the 15-minute city? People are talking about it. Is it an overreaction? Is it a conspiracy theory? It is not in the words of the council itself in Oxford. It was a stepping stone to the 15-minute city, which is a stepping, which is a central pillar of their local planning 2040. Check out that document in the show notes here just to understand what we're talking about. And next time, I think I'm going to dig into some of the specifics, the Bar Barcelona Manifesto, the degrowth initiative, which this is definitely, um, well, I would say compatible with. But really what I want to do is tell you how Rosa says to beat this. And now I'm even more suspicious than ever that she got sick and died rapidly one year ago. I thought her stuff wasn't strictly pertinent to COVID. But now that I think that the net, that, part of that the number one goal of the lockdowns was this stuff. 
and that they are implementing it now, less than one year after her death. I, I'm suspicious. I don't know anything about her death. I don't want to get personal like that. It's very sad for the people who loved her because she was clearly very lovable. And um, I hope her wife does not mind that I am reading this stuff and uh, I'm giving Rosa lots of credit. I want people to buy the book and get themselves educated. I mean, she was an expert in this field. That's why she would be so dangerous in the fight against it. But fortunately, she left it all behind for us to use. So I'm going to read it and you can share it. And we're going to do that next time. This was probably a little much. I got, I've been working on this for two days. <laughs> I probably should have gotten more organized, but it's just so much material. But if I am interested in, in feedback, like the deep dives do uh, ebb and flow and morph. So if you want to give me some feedback on what you think about it, if you got any, um, be extremely gentle. But if you have constructive criticism, I am open to it at Monica Perez Show at gmail.com. And if you love it, you want to give me some encouragement, help me move up in the search engine on iTunes or your favorite podcasting platform, please give me a review or just click five stars. I would love that. I do um, get a lot of encouragement out of that. And uh, before I sign off, I had a listener ask if I sold ads like host read ads. I do not. I'm not doing that anymore. But I did want to still read her what she wanted to communicate with you. She's not selling, selling anything either. Uh, but I'll read what she asked me to read because I do think people will be interested in it. it she says, uh, are you interested in living in a level, lovely echo community, safely distanced from relentless exposure to wireless technologies like cell towers and smart meters? I've definitely gone through that fear. I'm like worried about so much that I don't worry about it as much as I used to, but it doesn't mean it's not a problem. A real estate, maybe I should refocus on that. A real estate development company with over 25 years of experience building resorts, private homes, and echo communities has picked a site for a hardwired echo community in Nicaragua, which is currently the number one expat location for people who care about health and freedom. I actually do know a couple of listeners who moved to Nicaragua. You and like-minded neighbors will access internet services via a safe, secure, high-performing broadband fiber optic ether network. The design includes 100 affordable homes that range from tiny houses to two to three bedrooms with shared organic gardens, a solar farm power supply, and filtered well water all within walking distance to miles of pristine beach. So this is a voluntary approach to a walkable city where people who are like-minded will come together with the same values and the same purposes and make it work. Like this, I'm 100% behind in that, I mean, in theory, I don't know this guy, this developer particularly, but I'm all for voluntary communities based around shared values. It's great. It's fantastic. That's a culture that, that whereas the 15-minute city thing has, is deliberately making a culture that is not harmonious by creating stuff that people can't afford and moving people in there who can't afford it next to the people who are really paying the taxes for everybody. So this is totally different. And um, this is what we're all craving. And maybe they're trying to tap into that. The immediate goal is to demonstrate to the developers that hardwired neighborhoods are the real estate ask of the future so that this Nicaragua community can be established ASAP and hopefully communities like it in other locations. If you would like more information, please contact Karen. She is a longtime supporter of the show and uh, most definitely sincere. 
You can email her at klr1959 at protonmail.com. klr1959, no spaces or anything, at protonmail.com. So uh, I'll read that a few times, maybe once a month or something for people who are interested. Hopefully that's helpful. I am Monica Perez. If you enjoy this podcast, please share it with someone you think might also enjoy it, or please share it on social media. And feel free to tweet at me at Monica Perez Show.